If you have a Bible today, you can maybe turn uh, to the chapter we read together from in Romans and chapter 3. Uh, Romans and chapter 3. Today we're thinking of verses 9 to 12 uh, of this chapter. I'm sure many of us have some concerns for those Ukrainian soldiers who surrendered in the steelworks in in Mariupol. Uh, They were bussed out to camps which were controlled uh, by the Russians. The Russians against whom these brave soldiers who have become icons to the Ukrainian nation for bravery and for resistance, they are now in the control of their enemies. Lawyers have sought legislation which will exclude these soldiers from prisoner exchanges in the future. And there is the desire among some Russian authorities that these soldiers will be retained and put in parts of Russia where they will live out their days in slave labor. They currently are under the power of an oppressor. And our study today emphasizes that the position of mankind by nature and by birth and practice in verse 9 that we too are under the power of an oppressor we are all under sin boys and girls or adults or senior citizens if there's any part of the bible that's we should memorize it is Romans 3 from verse 9 to the end. In our studies on the midweek, we were speaking and we are discussing about taking the Bible into our lives and how we do this, the different avenues by which we imbibe Scripture into our hearts. And one avenue that we will discover and discuss is memorization taking the Bible into our minds and retaining it there by learning it. And here is one part of the Bible that all in our congregation and in our community should know, understand and live in their lives. A key section which contains the dark side of God's message that we are under sin, but also the bright side of God's grace that Jesus Christ has come under sin himself and taken on himself the consequences of our wrongdoing. Knowing this chapter is more important for us than knowing the cap that Ofgen has placed on its fuel prices for this winter or the score of the Champions League match last night. What a chapter it is to be known by us and lived out by us in our life. We're thinking of these verses 9 to 12 today. We want to think of the assertion made here, of the argument which supports it, and of the authority which underpins it. 
the assertion, the argument, the authority. Let's think first of all of the assertion in verse 9, a solemn assertion, a sobering assertion for us in church today, all under sin. The apostle here is is reasoning within this great section and he includes this assertion as part of his argument. The the words in verse number 9, which begin the verse, what then, indicate the, the opening of a new paragraph, a new idea that he's injecting into his argument. He's done this in verse number 1 as well. What then? He's coming on to a, a, a new argument. And, and while these, these words are, are indicating the beginning of a new section, they, they have been discussed over. And they can be difficult to understand. And one reason why they're difficult to understand is that the, the, the Greek which underpins them can be translated as advantage or as disadvantage. What then? Do we Jews have an advantage over the Gentiles or do we Jews have a disadvantage under the Gentiles? The translation here is, is, is the better one, arguing that we should think of advantage. Are we Jews any better off? Do we have an advantage? The word here was used of those running in a race and, and when they were coming to the end of the race, those at the front would, would stretch forth to try and get their, their chest across the line before their, their competitors. And this is the idea here. Do we Jews have an advantage over the Gentiles? Are we ahead of them? And, and his answer is no. We are all under sin. But, but this, this verse has been written over because it seems to contradict the first verse of chapter 3. There he asked the same question, do we Jews have an advantage over the Gentiles, that is, non-Jews? And his answer there is, yes, we do. And you can look up John Calvin later on, and he has a wonderful and gripping and and, and humorous explanation of this seeming contradiction. And the essence of his explanation is this, that in verse 1, the apostle is asking Do we have an advantage in relation to God's word? And the Jews did have an advantage in relation to God's word because they were given God's law. Other nations didn't have the books of Moses, the Psalms, the prophets. So in that sense, they had an advantage. But now he's asking the question in a different context. Do we have an advantage in relation to our standing before God? And the answer is no. We are all under sin. So what does it mean then? What does the phrase mean? The word under is used in the Gospels of soldiers who were under a centurion. And they would react to the commands of the centurion. They were under the centurion, under the authority, the direction, the control of another. And in this sense, the apostle uses this phrase. 
that, that those who are not yet Christians, all of us by birth and nature, are under sin. The Bible teases out for us and, and sets out three ways in which we are under sin. We're under sin's power. We commit sin. We all do, don't we? Every day we regret saying things, thinking things, doing things, not saying things, not thinking things, not doing things that we should do or not do. Chapter 7 clarifies it for us, doesn't it? It says, the good that I want to do, I don't do. And the evil that I don't want to do, I do. Under the power of sin. But also under the guilt of sin. The Bible calls us sinners and it's not a a, a popular term in, in our society and in our time. Psychologists, sociologists speak of mistakes. He has issues. There's room for improvement in the child. The Bible calls us sinners that we've fallen short of the glory of God under the guilt of sin. And a third dimension to this phrase is under the, the power, uh, under the punishment of sin. Chapter 6, the last verse. The wages of sin is death. The assertion, all under sin. Do you remember standing in a line at school, out in the corridor, or maybe outside, waiting to come in, and the teacher walking up and down, back to most of the class, ready to lead us into the school or into the classroom, and some wag at the back of the line shouts out something. The teacher takes offense at this and and demands that this person step forward. And of course, the person didn't. The whole class is given extra homework. But that's not what it's like here. It's not that one person sins and the rest of us are punished. We're all under sin the power of it the guilt of it the punishment of it some of us are under pressure stress from our work some of you may perhaps be under pressure from your finances you're doing all you can to alleviate that pressure and you look forward to the day when you're free from that stress But here's another thing that we're under. We're all under sin. It's power. It's guilt. It's punishment. These are incredibly insightful words, aren't they? These biblical glasses that we put on to understand our neighbours and ourselves. This is God's insight, God's evaluation of mankind. That we are all under sin. That beyond the 
neighborliness and the niceness and the nosiness of our colleagues. There is this assertion that we are all under sin. Sometimes our concern, our deep concern and prayer for our colleagues or our non-Christian neighbors arises when they get bad news from the doctor that some issue in their body is of great concern to them and hence to us. Business assertion directing us to have great concern for our non-Christian colleagues because of what's in their soul. We're all under sin. The assertion. Secondly, the argument. The apostle says in this ninth verse that uh, this assertion is something that we have already charged that all are under sin. He's referring, of course, to The verses that we've studied together in chapters 1 verse 18 to chapter 3 and verse 8. There the apostle with great logic, with great insight, with great patience has looked at non-Jews and looked at Jews God's special favoured people. And he has concluded in that section that all are under sin. We thought together of those who have no Bible for those who have no church, for those who have never heard a sermon, for those who have never heard the name of Jesus, what about them? And the apostle concludes that they have no excuse before God, that they are guilty before the Most High. How can this be, you ask? And twice he uses the phrase, they know, they know. They know about God and his existence, his power, his eternal nature. They know deep in the essence of their heart. They know what is right and wrong. The last verse of chapter 1 asserts the 21 vices recorded there. They know that God will judge those wrongs. And so they are without excuse. Then he's looked at those who are religious, those who are Jews, those who are moralists. And what about them? One of the points he makes is that they have a knowledge of right and wrong. They teach what is right and wrong. They condemn what is wrong. But in their condemnation of others' wrongs, they're condemning themselves. Because they are doing the very same things. Some have the Bible. Some approve the Bible's teaching. Some teach others the Bible. But they also cannot keep all its laws themselves. We have before charged Jews and Gentiles all under sin. The Sue Gray report was detailed, wasn't it? Photos Dates, times, witnesses, conclusions, advice, a long, detailed, studied, patient investigation. That's what chapter 1 to 3 of Romans is. The apostle taking his time, setting it out, 
making his point all under sin. And what do we do with that? What do we do with this part of the Bible that argues that all of us are under sin? Well, some deny it, don't they? They say that was for Paul's time, that was for his age, that was a first century viewpoint of humanity. We've grown from that, we've moved on from that, we're better than that in our time. Boris Becker thought he was immune to law and its judgments and its consequences. And many today assert that they too can duck God's assessment of humanity. Others ignore the charge, don't they? That they hide in the commonality of universal sinfulness. Well, we're all sinners. We all make mistakes. There's no one perfect. And they find comfort in the universalness of failure. But what about us? Do we take our time to consider the arguments, the conclusion to grasp the seriousness, the reality That this all includes us. It's not just a reference to Adam and Eve post-fall. The only two people living in the world at that time. All then were under sin. Adam and Eve guilty. But all now. The seven billion people in our world. All under sin. The assertion. The argument. And thirdly, the authority, as it is written, the apostle goes on in verses 10, 11, and 12 to quote from the Bible, to to buttress his position, to root his argument and assessment and psychological analysis of humanity in the inspired, inerrant, authoritative word of God. This is not just his opinion, his viewpoint, his assessment of society and mankind, this aligns with the very words of God. He quotes from Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20 and from Psalm 14 verses 1 to 3 or echoed in Psalm 53 verses 1 to 3. And see how he he asserts the, the universality of sin. Five times he says there is none. Once he says all. And isn't there a progression in his thought here, moving through the faculties of our soul from the mind to the emotions to the will? There is none who understands that's in our mind. There is none who seeks God. That's the emotions craving after God. And then the will, they've gone aside. They've together become unprofitable. Isn't this Jesus' approach to doctrine assessment as it is written out in the wilderness tempted by Satan for 40 days 40 nights Satan desiring him, pushing him, tempting him, turn the stone into bread I can't do it Jesus says as it is written, jump down the angels will catch you, I can't do it Jesus says as it is written bow down and worship me Satan says and I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth, I can't do it Jesus says As it is written, you worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. 
the authority, as it is written, the very words of God. In our time, the authority of the Bible has been diluted, hasn't it? We're free to choose any sacred book to guide our life and monitor our behavior. You can have the Quran if you wish. You can have the sacred books of Hinduism if you choose. You can make up your own rules and regulations if you so desire. But today, we bow our minds and our hearts to the holy word of God. With humility, we accept its assessment of mankind. All under sin. Boris Becker to the Queen. From me to you. All under sin. The assertion. Many of us make generalizations, don't we, in it? And, and, and exaggerations, and it weakens our argument. Most of us turn off when Ian Blackford, the SNP, gets up in the House of Commons. His generalizations, his exaggerations about the failings of the Prime Minister make us disbelieve and, and, and tune out any other valid point that he might have. But this generalization is no exaggeration. All under sin. Three words which sum up our position before God. Three words which transform our view of humankind. All under sin. The argument. Will we read the Sue Gray report? Will we scrutinize every line? Will we examine every detail? Probably not. But let us examine the argument in this chapter. Let us take time over the details here. Let us imbibe what the apostle is setting out for us in this section. All under sin. Let us attempt to align our beliefs and our practices with the authority that the apostle appeals to. Let us think and let us do in accordance with God's word. I love my life as my body, let us say, as it is written. I submit to my husband, you say, as it is written. I forgive my enemies, you say, as it is written. I trust in the blood of Jesus Christ to see me through the gates of heaven, as it is written. All under sin. As we think of communion in a week's time, this is where our comfort and salvation is found. That the Son of God assumed our position. That on the cross, he became under sin. That the sins of his people were laid on him And he bore the consequences which we deserved. That you and I by faith and repentance might come under grace and the righteousness of Christ accepted, loved, forgiven. 